0: Think when you use the word Christian. I wonder uh, when you tell people that you're a Christian. I wonder how that sounds in your mouth or in your head. Um, There might be lots of really positive images that people have of Christians. Um, Some good friends of mine were really involved in responding to to Grenfell and all that happened there. And people look at food banks. People look at the way the church reaches out and tries to build community in a world that's lost all sense of that, and there is so much positivity and goodness and life there. And for some of us, actually, the word Christian has different connotations. We might feel a little bit embarrassed. It might feel like a very religious word in a way that constricts and boxes us in and and people don't know how to relate to. When we hear the word Christian, we might think of... Some of the prominent people who criticize Christianity, people like Richard Dawkins, who go around talking about Christianity and the Bible and the God that is at the center of it as a, as a cruel and malevolent force in the world, and he gets standing ovations for it. What's really struck me, actually, um, in this crazy messed up time that we're in the midst of, is actually some of the people who are most visibly Christians in our media... Um, some of the people who want to claim that label the most uh, have in recent time been racist. Have in recent times been people who are, want to drag society back to some kind of twisted thought. And I struggle with that. I struggle with that label. I struggle with um, some of the suffering that's going on in the world and the way that Christianity... Seems to play some sort of strange role in that, the way that people use the name of Christ in that way. Today we're going to look at um, at Psalm 22, and I think it's one of the psalms that is at the heart of the Christian faith, because it is incredible, right? It is a psalm that David wrote about his struggles, and yet, inspired by the Spirit, David, David describes the cross. Centuries before it happened, David describes, in, in, in a real profound way, this suffering that, that Jesus goes through, and this is central for our Christian faith, and it's central for our understanding, but I think there's something quite interesting about this psalm that maybe we don't always pick up, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully take us through today. Are you ready for that? Are you with me today? We're on the journey? Great. It's great to be with you. So here we go, Psalm 22, and we're going to read the whole thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man." Scorned by mankind, despised by the people, all who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax; it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evil doers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and glow over me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots." All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Wow, what a psalm. I could probably just stop there, hey? We could all go home and just allow the richness of that feed our hearts and our souls. What a heartbreaking picture of Jesus. What a heartbreaking picture of Jesus. Jesus. Forsaken, a worm, insulted, mocked. Mocked for uh, the calling that he apparently had on his life from God as those surrounding him doubted it. Put through the most intense of physical pain, poured out, pierced, broken. And it's this powerful way that in that moment, all of the sin that we have done All of the sin that changed the world is poured out on him. Sin can be a bit of a strange word sometimes. We're a bit of a self-obsessed society. And I think that sometimes comes through in how we read the Bible, actually. Because that pain that Jesus went through on the cross, that wasn't just a kind of bloodless, simple transaction Have you ever thought about that? Like, if someone who was pure and sinless needed to die in order to pay the price, why wasn't Jesus just executed as a baby? Do you know the normal way for someone in Jesus' situation to be killed, to be executed by the Romans, would be beheading? And actually, for essentially some of the same crimes, that's how Paul was killed around this time. Yet, Jesus goes through the most intensely torturous, painful, suffering death that he can. And Actually, there's a, there's a very real sense that in that, Jesus is dealing not just with our sins, the things that trouble our conscience, but actually the sins that kind of project into the outside world as well, all of their enmity and anger and pain of all of humanity, I think to get a bit of this, actually, we need to go back, right back to the start of the Bible. So often we think that the fall and sin is described in, in its fullness in Genesis 3, right? You know the story? What happens in Genesis 3? Eve is tempted by the devil, yeah, rebellion, disobeys God's word grasping after something more than what they are and they doubt God ultimately, they doubt him, they turn away from relationship with him and we have this sense that that's kind of the fullness of sin is is our kind of inner doubt and conscience and listening to the devil and turning away from God and that undoubtedly is huge and is profound and is central. The thing is it's worse than that It is far worse than that. The problem that we find ourselves in is far, far worse than that. Now, the joy in that, we'll get to this later, is if it's worse than that, the good news is even better than that, right? Because it is even bigger than just that. But actually, the fall of mankind comes all the way up to Genesis chapter 11. Because what do we see? We don't just see... The rebellion of eve disobeying god and leading adam astray and following satan we don't just see the rebellion of doubting god's words and grasping after more than what humanity is we see the shame of nakedness we see the pain of death the pain of life the pain of work the pain of childbirth are not things that were in creation according to genesis actually they're they're the result of sin they're part of sin. And it goes further than that, because actually, we often think of just the vertical nature of grace, of how I relate to God. but well, there's a horizontal nature to sin that needs a vertical gra- that needs a horizontal grace response as well. You with me? Because we go into division in relationships. It says in Genesis that because of Eve's um, turning away from God. God says, now you will look to your husband, Adam, and there is a division in the sexes. We don't have that in society today, do we? Oh, wait, maybe a little bit. Kofi Annan, the ex-leader of the the UN, said, if we empowered women throughout the world, we would end world poverty overnight. I think at the moment, uh, in the US, and I don't want to pick on them, I just don't know the stats for England, I just read this recently, that women are paid 71 cents for every dollar that men are paid. For doing the same job. And actually that division, that prejudice, that actually disrespect for the image of God within females comes as a result of the fall. Comes as a result of sin, just as death did. Then we see division between brothers, Cain and Abel. We start to see divisions among men. We start to see violence fill the earth throughout the time of Noah. We start to see enmity, competition, selfishness all those things start to be expressed it gets even worse even after the flood the sin continues to grow because actually because of Noah's shame through the story that happens there in Genesis throughout Genesis 10 and 11 he then makes Canaan the slave of Shem slavery comes because of the fall of humanity Division between people, people serving other people, as if somehow the image of God is lesser in someone of a different tribe, of a different family, of a different culture, than the person who is doing the ruling over. And then we see different tribes. We see the Tower of Babel. We see in that, we see a division of cultures, a division of languages, as humanity is shattered and broken and pulled apart. And we know that this is wrong. We know that this is wrong. We know that that is not the image of God that he tried to imprint onto creation. That isn't the good and perfect image that he put on. That is part of the sin and brokenness and mess that we find ourselves in. That's why suffering hurts so much. Because it is the opposite of the image of God. But we see, right from the start, Genesis 12, God calls Abraham. And God is always trying to work to bring about his completeness again. To bring out a people that they would be a light, that they would draw humanity together. There's this huge sense that that grace, that the gospel itself is always this, this kind of gravitational force of all things being drawn into his love, into a community that reflects the fullness of his image. And the thing is, this bigness of sin and the way that it goes out and extends into into all the world. It extends into all the divisions among humanity. Racial lines, gender lines, class lines, affluent lines, lines of wealth and poverty, haves, haves-nots, farmers and hunters, as it's described in the story of Cain and Abel, is answered, actually, in Psalm 22. There's something really astonishing about Psalm 22 that I think maybe we're so familiar with, we don't always quite pick the gravity of it up. The first half of, maybe maybe two-thirds actually, of, of Psalm 22 is suffering. is the suffering of the individual, right? It's the suffering of Jesus. But unlike most of the other Psalms, there isn't a kind of individual response. But I will praise the Lord. He will not forsake me. Actually, the response to the suffering and the pain of Jesus is actually corporate. Is actually bigger than that. Following the suffering... Of the one who is forsaken is the salvation of all the nations, of all communities. Let's just go through it. In verse 25, it talks about the assembly together. Obviously, David here is talking about not just himself, but all of his people. And we know that in that, there's a sense of it's not just for Jesus. But first of all, he brings together a people. He calls us out as his church. Then in verse 26, it says the poor eat and are satisfied. A really beautiful phrase that we find, I think, really prominently in a couple of places in the Bible. In Deuteronomy, when the law is fulfilled, it says you will eat and be satisfied. And in the feeding of the 5,000, it says they ate and were satisfied. Think of the the divisions between haves and have-nots that so affect and shape our world. And here, through the suffering and pain and abandonment, of Jesus, we see their end. Verse 28, oh sorry, verse 27, ends of the earth, nations, this sense of division between peoples and cultures is lost as they're all drawn together. Verse 28, dominion is the Lord's. Think about the power balances that we have in the world and actually as soon as God starts to draw everything to himself and he takes fullness of his authority and reign and rule over creation, that is gone. Those inequalities are gone. Verse 29 says, The rich will kneel in the dust. Verse 30, The generations come together. Think of the divisions we have between the generations in our society. We have a generation of people who don't have job security, who aren't going to find it easy to get a house, who are just living in a really uncertain time, Think of the divisions in voting patterns at elections across different ages. And yet, these divisions in humanity, we come to verse 31 and it says, He has done it. And I'm sure you've probably heard a hundred sermons on this before, but that's in the Greek Bible that the writers of the New Testament used. It's this word, tetelestai, which is the word that Jesus uses on the cross. It is finished. He has done it through all of that pain and all of that brokenness and suffering. He has ended all those divisions. The divisions of rich and poor, the divisions of races, the divisions of gender, the divisions of class, the divisions of has and has not. Jesus has in a very real way taken on the pain and the sinfulness and the brokenness of all that. So how do we respond? Because actually we live in a world where that's not the case. Well, I think we're brought to the cross. In Mark 15, um, we, we come to the part where Jesus quotes from Psalm 22. Quotes it on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He takes on the fullness of this rejection and pain and brokenness in humanity. And what better thing to symbolize and be the pinnacle of all of that than the total, the false trial The murder, the torture of the most innocent, pure, sinless, loving presence that has ever walked on this earth. He takes on the fullness of all of that. And what happens? In Mark 15, the temple curtain is torn. That division between the priests and the people is gone. Then the first person to respond in worship at the cross, who is it? It's a centurion. It's a wealthy, affluent, occupying power, stood there in Judea, being the first person to worship Jesus on the cross. This military figure, worshipping this Lamb of God who's just given himself peacefully and sacrificed himself. We see the two Marys, and actually Mark goes even further and says many other women are the first people to interact with Jesus. They're the first messages that Jesus sends out. And where do we come? Mark 16, 15 to 18, we're going to finish with this. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Jesus' death has changed everything. Our state was far worse than we thought. And the gospel is far better news than we could ever even begin to comprehend. I mean, we we look at a non-violent, beautiful, peaceful, gracious death like Jesus in the midst of all the aggression and anger and division in humanity. And what can that be but foolishness to the world? And what can that be but, but water poured in a desert place? What can that be but life brought to our dead and dry bones? So may God bless each of you now. May he fill you with his resurrection power. That you would go, and as Paul says in Corinthians, you would have the ministry and the message of reconciliation. You would go into all creation and call out, be reconciled to God, rich and poor, young and old, men and women, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Be reconciled to God. Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin. That we would find freedom and life. Amen. Amen. That's about us for time.